Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Good morning. Hey, my name is Aaron Nelson. I am the Salt Company Director here at Hill City. And I'm excited to jump into the text that Colton just read. But before we do, let's take a moment and stop and pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the ability to gather on a Sunday morning um, as a body of believers to come before you, to get to worship you, Lord, uh, may, we, may we practice your presence today. May we be able to be in your presence and welcome you here. Lord, may you continue to unite this body together. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So as Colton was reading out, we are talking about the church today. So obviously, I have spent a lot of time over the last few days of preparation thinking about the church. And there's something I want to make sure to start off with, and that is this. I think the church is incredible. I think God's design for the church is incredible. I think the people inside the body of the church do incredible things. And also I'm proud to be a part of a church that I truly believe puts Jesus as the centerpiece of everything we do. Not, like as Ephesians would say, the cornerstone of everything we do. So as I've been thinking about the church a lot, though, I wanted to really consider, like, who are we currently? What is our current state as a church? And when I say church, I'm thinking, like, more the big C church, not specifically Hill City, but obviously Hill City is included in that. But what does the church currently look like? There's some really great things. There's also some things I think I want more for the church. One of, some of the few of the great things, and some of these are my ideas, like things that I just think, some are just from research, I've done, but I think the church is a place where there are incredible opportunities to step into community. To invite people out of lives of isolation. I think the church is a place that is incredibly generous. I think it's pretty well known that the church is one of, if not the most giving entity there is out there. You guys, we, we proved this a few weeks ago. We asked, we needed scholarships for our students to go to Salt Company Conference. And in six days, you guys gave $6,000. It's incredible, incredibly generous. I think the church, I think, is incredibly resilient. Keeps moving forward. Won't go away. And there's things on the other side of that. I think the church can tend to be a place of criticism. 
When I say criticism, obviously, yes, externally, there's a lot of criticism towards the church, but we've been taught to expect that. I think the more harmful thing is that the church is a place of criticism internally quite often. A lot of critiquing and pointing fingers, I wish this was better, but really with no intention to be part of the change of that critique. I think the church is a place of consumption. I think a lot of people look at the church as a place to come and get theirs and get out. And finally, I think the, uh, the church is a place filled with hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another. I know when, I was, when I was growing up, I grew up in the church. When I was 16, I remember looking at the people of the church I was in at the time and thinking like, man, I don't ever want to be like the people here. Right? They, they slander each other, they criticize each other, they gossip, like all these different things. And I'm like, I just don't want to be that. And hear me, I'm not saying the church today is any worse than the church that was before us or any worse than the church to come after us. But here's what I do believe. I want more for the church. I want more for the church. And I think Paul wants more for the church. And that's exactly where he takes us today. It's how the church can and should become more whole, more mature, more united. Hear me. I think the church is, like I said earlier, incredible. But the church is filled with imperfect people. So yes, there's going to be brokenness within the church. I don't expect the church to be perfect, but I do want more for the church. So as we hop in to chapter 4, verse 11 today, let's look back just real quick. So chapters 1 through 3, we've got a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine. Talking about what Jesus did and what, he's, what, he, what it means to us. And within that, we got this idea of he has created a new race, a new mankind. And then we get to chapter 4 and we kind of enter into some, to the application of the theology and doctrine we got from the first three chapters of Ephesians. Brad last week preached on become who you are. And it, it was like become who you are on an individual level. Like as individuals within the church, become humble, walk in gentleness, be patient, bear with one another in love. And this week we have a similar idea but with a slight change. Instead of become who you are, it's to become who we are, the church. Who is the church supposed to become? And when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. The church is a people united from all different backgrounds who have positioned themselves under the authority of God. And it is also the place that God has said he, he will bring his restoration to the world through. That is the church. It is not a building. So as we hop into verse 11, we're skipping over verses 7 through 10 and now we're going to be hanging out there, but we do have to know what was said here. So Paul does this thing, I kind of like how he does this, is he stops and he reminds us what Jesus has done before he talks about the church. Verses 7 through 10, he uses ascension and descension language, just talking about how Jesus left his position next to God, took on flesh, and came to earth. Think about that, he left his position next to God came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a brutal death that he didn't deserve, yet we deserved, and then rose again three days later, all in order so that we, by grace through faith, could be in right relationship with God. And he did all of that in order for us to step into that relationship. But here's where Paul comes and he talks about this ascension terminology, how after Jesus did all that, he ascended back to the right hand of God. 
And as he ascended, is where we come into verse 11. It's, it talks about how he ascended and then he gave. He gave what? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. It's verse 11. These are all gifts. Gifts created by God. And given to the church. Right? It's, it's almost a structure that God has given us to help the church flourish. If you're anything like me, I hate, like the word structure kind of even makes me squirm a little bit. Kind of like the more like, can't we all just love each other and lead each other kind of guy. But God here, in his goodness, and Paul I think here is helping us realize, chaos is not loving. Chaos is not caring. And out of the goodness of God, he has given us structure. And in our context, these guilt, these gifts help to keep us focused on the mission at hand. They point to the instruction of Jesus. Now, it's not only important what he gave, it's also what important what he gave them to do. It says that he gave all of these gifts to equip or prepare the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of of Christ. So we have this saint terminology here. This word saint is not referring to the perfect ones. That's how we use it in modern day culture. But when, when Paul says saints, he's talking about God's holy people. If you follow Jesus, you are one of these saints. We are the saints being equipped. Equipped for what? For the work of ministry. The work of ministry, I love this phrase. I, I love how he tags work onto the beginning of this because here's, here's the result of the fall. Work is hard. Work is difficult. And the work of ministry is no different. It is hard. When we see this word ministry, it was funny. Um, on Monday, we had our teaching team meeting, which we have every week, where we look at the, at the sermon that was just preached and we look forward to the sermon to come. And when we were going over this verse, like three people in the room raised their hand and were like, hey, that word ministry, don't really know what that means. Obviously, they, they knew what it meant in current modern context, but like what is Paul saying here when he says ministry? This word ministry is the same place where we get the word deacon from in 1 Timothy. Deacon, and it means this, to serve. Serving, servant, that is what this word ministry means. And so we are being equipped for the work of what? The work of serving. Listen, it is all of our jobs to serve. If you follow Jesus, you are a servant of God. I think oftentimes in our culture, at least for me, I knew this growing up. When I thought ministry, I thought of people on staff at a church. That was my initial thought when I thought ministry when I was younger. But here's the call here. The work of ministry isn't for a select few. The work of ministry is the heart posture of all God's people. The heart posture of all God's people people, and we, we serve, we minister in order to build up the church. We go, wait a minute. Didn't Brad not too long ago say that in Matthew, Jesus said he was going to build up his church? Is, is Paul contradicting Jesus here? No. What Paul is doing is saying, listen, Jesus is still the one building it. But in his goodness, he's using the people in it to do so. What a gift. We get to partner with God in ministry. 
What a beautiful thing. I, I think of it, when I was five or six, I got my first basketball goal, and I was so excited. It's like I was like five, seven at five years old, and I was so excited to be playing basketball. <laughs> and I was so ready to go, and my dad, get the goal comes in. And so me and my dad, I'm like, Dad, please let me help. Please, you know, who wants to let a five-year-old help set up something so big? But he was great, and he let me do it. He's like, all right, come on. Here's what I know. I was way more in the way than I was of any help. That is for sure. Like my dad's carrying around this 50-pound bag of sand to pour into the back, and he's like, okay, just hold the funnel there still so I can pour it in the funnel. I'd be doing great, and then I'd get distracted. And it's like, Aaron, I'm like, I'm sorry. But anyways, I, I, I was no need. Like he did not need me to help. But yet he invited me into that process with him. And it's the same with God in the church. He does not need to use us, but he says, I'm going to build the church and you are going to help me. And here's the cool part. For me, after we built that basketball goal, I had so much ownership in that thing. I'm like, I built that. My dad's like, no, you had a, held a funnel while I poured the sand. It's the cool part. Not only do we get the blessing of getting a partner with God in that, but also we get to take ownership in this thing. We get to say, I play a part in this. It gives us buy-in. It gets us excited to take part in the church. But we aren't just building to build. God has us building towards something. There's something that God has an end goal for the church. And it's this, verse 13. It says, until, let's hold on to that word. We're going to come back to it. Until. We all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. That word manhood, that's the same one we talked about back in Ephesians 2. Right? This idea of, of one new man being created in Christ. No matter Gentile or Jew, there is a third race now. And that is the, race, this is, that is the kingdom of heaven. To mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul here does like a, a great vision cast for the church. Here's who the church is to become. He starts off with attaining unity of the faith. It's as simple as this. Church, we are to always be united around one thing. And that is, that is by, by grace, through faith, we are saved. What Jesus has done on the cross is the thing that unites the church, nothing else. Jesus is the thing we all are to be looking towards as the uniting factor between us. And that will forever be what unites us. Secondly, he talks about attaining knowledge of the Son of God, knowledge of Jesus. And this type of knowledge isn't just like intellectual knowledge. It's knowledge applied. It's knowledge that leads us to a deeper action. I got a great quote from Danny Mac on this. And I love it. The heart can't worship what the mind doesn't know. The heart can't worship what the mind doesn't know. What we think here affects what we do here, and what we do here affects what we think here. And he ends it that we are also to attain to mature manhood. Mature manhood, maturity. This is his final call, maturity. And Paul gives us an interesting degree in which we are supposed to mature. We look at a, I like how the New Living Translation translate this. It says that we will be mature in the Lord. 
measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The full and complete standard of Christ. Let's understand what this is saying. The call is to live up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We know what that standard is? It's perfection. That is the standard of Jesus. Anybody anybody there? Anybody know of a church that's there? No, when Paul knows that. Paul knows that there is no way we can ever attain that standard. No way we can ever live up to that. We are only seen perfect because of what Jesus has done. We can't attain that. And that's what makes Paul's writing here so clever. It's his call is to do these things until we reach the level of maturity of perfection, which he knows we won't. So here is the final call. Don't stop. Don't stop equipping the saints. Don't stop, stop serving one another. Don't stop pursuing unity and gaining knowledge. Why? In order to mature into Christ-likeness. Don't stop until Jesus returns. Listen, the church on this side of heaven does not have a finish line. We keep going. We keep equipping. We keep pursuing unity. That is what the church is meant to do. And so Paul here, he paints us this picture of what it means to mature as a body. And this is as a unit, right? I want to make sure we don't get too individual with this. This is as a unit, as a whole. And then he gets to this verse 14. He like stops here. He talks about this maturity and then he stops us. And he gives us a warning. We mature in Christ so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So this is the contrast to what was just said. This is the contrast to maturity. Saying quit being caught up in things and thrown around. I think that the fear that this brings out is the fear that we lose sight of Jesus at the expense of these things. Remember, what unifies us is the cross, and if we're not focused on the cross, then what are we focused on? We're called to focus on the cross. He says things like doctrine, and listen, doctrine is good. We need to have sound doctrine. It is a non-negotiable But here's often what can happen with doctrine. Instead of doctrine growing our knowledge of Jesus, it takes our attention away from him. Because we get caught up in the small details and they actually cause division between people instead of unity. All right, I go to things like eschatology, the study of end times. Right, and eschatology is great. We need to be studying that. Right, that helps bring about knowledge of the Son of God like talked about earlier. But oftentimes it shifts our focus away from Jesus and onto something else. Can we make Jesus the thing that matters? Remember, our destination and maturity is Christ. And maturity means unity. We have to be united. Let's not let something shift our attention away from that. So Paul gives us this contrast, and then he takes us back into what maturity looks like. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, 
we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So we have more of this maturing language here. We're growing, it says, towards Christ, which is the head. I get a really funny mental picture in my head. Anybody seen a kid whose head's a little too big for their body? I don't know what I'm talking about, and they kind of walk around, and their head sways a little too much. That's the picture being painted for us here. Of like, we are growing into our head, which is Jesus. And that head is huge. That level of maturity is massive in the church with its small body. Its goal is to grow into its head, into that level of maturity. Goes on in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So as we go back to the start of verse 15, it says rather. So this is instead of childlike maturity, let's go to childlike immaturity, let's go to Christ-like maturity. And I think Paul is very intentional here. He says rather, speaking the truth in love. Truth and love. Here, here's what I think Paul's telling us here. Truth and love is what leads us to maturity. Not just truth leads us to maturity. Truth and love leads us to maturity. Like loving correction. Right, parents, you do this all the time. At least I hope you do this all the time. But lovingly correcting your child why? Not because you're mean. It's not because you're mean you tell them the truth. No, you tell them the truth because you care. You care about their maturing. You care about them grow- their growth. You care about them becoming who they were meant to be. And that's accomplished, accomplished through truth in love. And in our culture, here's what we've done. We've taken truth, put it here, and we've taken love and put it here. And they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. You have to either tell the truth or you have to, other, you have to be loving. You can't do both. Right, you can pull a bunch of different cultural narratives out there, but I think the easiest one to go to is the sexual narrative. In sexuality, it's either we affirm or we hate. That's what we're told. You have to pick one. And Paul's saying, wait a minute. Tell the truth in love. You can still be truthful and honest and still love someone. Actually, it's the more loving thing to do. To point towards loving correction. The call is to stop being truthful. The call is to stop using truth as a weapon to harm and start using it as a loving tool to correct. Is that how we use truth? So verse 15, he calls us back to this maturity, and then he goes into verse 16. He's talking, he's talking about this, it's continuing to paint this image of a body he says, when all of the body, the joints and, or, or ligaments are working properly, meaning what we're doing, what Paul has talked about the rest of this chapter, we are equipping the saints, we are serving each other, we are pursuing unity, we are gaining knowledge. When we are doing all of those things, when all of those things are working properly, what's it do? It lends itself to growth. The body of Christ grows. Um, when, so eight, eight months ago, I had ACL surgery, tore it playing basketball. 
And after I tore it, I had surgery and then went uh, to start PT. PT is an absolute brutal process. Going through PT and my joint, obviously they went in there and cut me open. My joint was not working properly and so it made my entire leg like malfunction it felt like. Like my calf muscles hurt, my quad hurt, my hamstring hurt, my sciatica was acting up. I feel like an old person saying sciatica, but my sciatica was acting up. Just horrible pain all the time. And it was only because, it wasn't because those things were messed up, it's because my joint was messed up. What was going on in my knee was messed up and it just affected everything else around it. And because it wasn't working, it stunted my growth. I now have a tiny leg and a big leg now. I'm embarrassed to wear shorts. But it's because that single joint wasn't working how it was supposed to. It affected the entire right side of my body. And it's the same in the body of Christ. When one joint is malfunctioning, it's not just going to affect that joint. It's going to affect the rest of the body. We all have a role to play in the work of ministry. Every single one of us. And when we don't play our role, it stunts the growth of the church. But when we play our role, it helps the body to flourish, to grow. As the Ephesians says, it makes the body grow. And let's, let's make sure we understand this, what grow we're talking about here. Growing in maturity, growing in all of these things that Paul has been listing throughout chapter 4. It's not necessarily grow in numbers, although it does lend itself to that. But it makes the body grow in maturity. So that it builds itself up in love. Loving one another. This is something that we have to remember. We're never going to serve something if we don't love it a lot. Right, you're never going to serve the people around you if you don't love them more than you love yourself. Why would you? We need to love the local church. We need to fall in love with what God is doing through the local church. So let's, let's come here today. Hill City 2022. Here's what I think Paul is bringing to us. I think it's what Paul was bringing to the church of Ephesus, and I think it's what Paul is bringing to Hill City Church, and it's this. You have a role to play in the maturing of the church. You have a role to play in the maturing of the church. As we look inside of the church, there are roles to be played. Here at Hill City, there are roles to be played. We need people to be doing ministry, to be serving And yes, some of them are staff roles, but a majority of them are just roles that people who love Jesus deeply need to fill. You don't need to be on staff at a church to have a huge role to play in the church. The staff is actually irrelevant without the people doing their part. And hear me, if you haven't been actively serving in the church, this is not me trying to condemn you. It's actually an invitation into more. I want you to get to have ownership in what the body is doing. What God is doing through the body. Because here's my fear. Here's my fear for Hill City is that we're going to become another church who is a Sunday, Wednesday church. 
at church twice a week for two hours to get theirs and get out. It's a fear I have. And I think that fear comes because we live in a culture that talks all the time about, like, I need to find my purpose. I need to find my growth. I need to find my healing. It's such an individualistic culture. And those things are good. We should be looking for those. But the invitation to the body of Christ is not to approach it as individuals. The invitation to the body of Christ is to approach it as a new mankind, a new race, as a whole. Can you love the whole more than you love yourself? Culture tells us you must be important. You must have your purpose. You must leave your mark. I think here's what Paul's telling us. It's not about your importance. It's about the importance of the body of Christ. That's what's important. And here's what's cool about how the church works is when the church does what it's supposed to on the inside, it affects what happens on the outside. Right, I don't want us to get too inward focused here. Right, we're supposed to be diligent in our work within the church, but it should lead us to something much bigger outside of the church. It should lead to people who don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus. It's really easy to welcome people into a family that's united. It's really easy to welcome people into a family that serves one another. You know, it's hard to welcome someone to a family that's divided. Can we seek unity? I'm a big picture person, so I dream a lot when I, when I read stuff like this, and I just, I get these visions of, like, just what it could be in my head. And it makes me think, like, what if Hill City was described as Paul describes what the church is meant to be? If Hill City attained unity and understanding of Jesus, that leads us to a maturity that was like that of Christ. What if that's how we were described? We couldn't keep people out of this building because it would be so different than culture. What if 16-year-olds, because here's the thing, one day this room is going to have so many 16-year-olds because there are a lot of people having babies here. And there's going to be so many 16-year-olds just like me in this church. But instead of thinking like me, of like, man, I hope I'm never like the people of this church. What if Hill City, what if the 16-year-olds of Hill City someday looked at the body of Christ and say, man, I'm inspired by how they love and serve each other. What if that's who we were? I want to mature. I want this body to mature. And I think Paul, is that's exactly what he's saying, is I want us to mature. I want us to become who we were meant to become. If you're anything like me, you're, I kind of function on like, okay, I hear what you're telling me to do. How can I do it? There's a ton of opportunities for this here at Hill City. Some formal ones. If you're just curious, listen, we have an army of kids upstairs right now. Like, we have, like, babies being held in both arms and one balanced on the leg up there. It's so packed. We need people to go minister to those children, to love them deeply. Another way, this, all of this, is set up by a, a setup team every week. And they minister to me every week by coming and making this happen. College students, leadership applications are opening up soon for Salt Company. Can you minister to the church? That's an opportunity for you to minister to the church and help 
push for the maturing of the church. But here's the thing. You don't only have to do this through a formal role here at Hill City. There's also informal roles. Maybe your role in this church is to be an encourager, to just take people out to coffee and fan the flame that they have for Jesus. We need prayer warriors. We need people with lots of money to give lots of money. Your role doesn't have to be formal, but are you playing your role in maturing the church? What's your role? What does that look like? How are you ministering? I'm going to invite Bob and Brad out here. So Bob and Brad are going to do an interview for us. Um, So Bob was here my first year on staff. Um, Something to know about Bob. Bob plays his role in the church. I don't think anybody would doubt that. Actually, Bob might be guilty of playing one too many roles in the church and taking from other people's roles. Um, But Bob has ministered to me in the way that he served this church, and so Bob and Brad are going to take some time to talk through that. Yeah. Hey, Bob. Hey, guys. I've been excited to to interview Bob for you guys. Some some of you are so new, you don't even know who Bob was. But um, just so you know, Bob was not his given name. Um, this is what we call him because your your true name is Songhua. Yes, you guys work on that, okay? We're gonna we're gonna go with Bob. Bob is from South Korea. He came here he came here in 2017. He jumped in. He started serving with kids. He was in our he was in our band. He did everything. He was helping us set up, tear down. He was doing everything. He built. He helped serve this church. He helped build up the church. He was an example, and he became a great friend and a great brother to so many of us. Um, And then he had to leave. So what happens in South Korea is there's a mandatory uh, military service. So you left for two years to go serve in the South Korean Army. Um, How'd that go, Bob? Um, Not great. (laughs) Um, So I was super hyped about, like, let's go and share the gospel. Uh, I was all about it. I, I actually prayed to God that, Lord, like, bring me suffering. And he answered in a hard way. Jeez. Um, so yeah, um, out of 1,500 in my brigade, about eight or nine were believers. And I would share the gospel, and it was always mocking, uh, making fun of me, and some of them uh, threatened me for sharing the gospel. They were like, John, you say that one more time and, happen, and see what happens to you, man. I'm like, sir, yes, sir. So all those kind of things happened. So it wasn't really beautiful, but I saw some, you know, great pictures in between. Yeah, so, so, so what happened while, while he was gone was this church, his family, that he helped build up, that he helped serve and grow into maturity, they actually served you yeah. in one of the hardest times uh, of your life. They are, helping, they are even helping you as you were, uh, re-entered. Would you just share how this body and this church served you? Yeah, um, so I'll just name them. So uh, we have Bo, um, Levi, and... Uh, Jake Holden, uh, Sonny and Garrett and Michael Robinson and so many other people. I made a quite a freaking calls with them over FaceTime. And whenever we did, um, I ended up crying. And they mourned with me. I didn't even need a word of encouragement. When they were mourning with me, that meant so much more to me than just telling me, hey, I'm praying for you, man. It was just such a speechless moment. I was like, wow, thank you, God, for that comfort and peace. And even being back, like, I'm living with one of the greatest fam- greatest families here, Tim Hayes' family. 
and their, their kids are crazy, but I love the family. Um, and even my car is through one of the church families. They offered me this really great, you know, offer. They almost gave me for free. And my, I'm under, like, my uh, church family's phone plan, too. So everything has been God's blessing and God's provision. So I praise God all for that. So, Bob, you spent so much time, he, and the old word in the Bible says he edified the church. The church then in return builds you up and edifies you, and that's how it is uh, supposed, it's supposed to work. And you, you've been very proactive in reconnecting. You've probably been in about 40 homes since you've gotten back in two months. Just He's been so proactive. Hey, I want to grab dinner. I want to get to know this church because this church looks a little different than when you left, right? Talk about that for a minute. Oh, man. So, I mean, you guys have been part of this gradual changes, so you guys – may not see that what I'm seeing because I've been gone for this two years. It's like one of the, like, um, uh, like that little, I've been gone and now I'm back. So uh, I see more drastic changes than you guys do. And it kind of came to me in a very, like, shocking way in the first. And I was like, uh, I don't even know, like, what I'm supposed to do. Or, like, it feels like I've been studying abroad for two years and I'm back and I've changed and my family's changed. But the fact that we love each other and the rule of the church has not changed, though. We're still the bride of Christ. And I see that. I see so many changes, yet they are so great changes. And I'm like, well, dude, yeah, it's changed. So what? Let's just live it through. Yeah, so. Yeah. So here's what we'll do for time's sake, Bob. I just would like you to maybe, uh, as, as we're looking at Ephesians and how this is a family, and when one joint hurts, it messes the whole body, and, and just all the edification and build up. So in light of Ephesians 4, what might be a final word of just maybe inspiration to your church family um, to send us out here today? Um, that's a tough question. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So I don't know because I'm, I'm still young, and I've gone through a very peak of this phase of, in my life, but um. When you really, when we live the life that God has called us to live, the world is going to bring persecution and this discomfort. If the world does not bring that, we may have to kind of like think, are we truly living the, the life that God's called us to live? And on top of that, though, because of that, community is so needed. When you're down, when you're going through that dry land, you need people that will you know, hold, hold you accountable and lead you through. Because when you're in the same team, that's when we can make this happen. So, like, do not neglect your community and lean on them. And as a whole church, let's lean on Christ because he will guide us through it. Hey, can you thank Bob for coming up here? And I'm going to have you guys, if you'll stand with us now, I'm going to have the band come out. So, we have a job. We serve. We're in this together. We're family. When one of us hurts, we, we all hurt. But one of the things I love that Aaron did is he pointed us to Jesus multiple times. And each week here, we come to the table to receive communion. And this is a practice that we, uh, we do unapologetically each week because our practices will shape our loves. And when we rehearse the gospel through communion, it will shape our love for Jesus and when we start to love Jesus more, we will love what he loves more. Here's the thing about Jesus. I promise you this. He loves his wife. He loves his bride. And when we become more like Jesus, we will love his bride. And we will love the local church. So even as we receive communion, it shapes our love for Jesus and for his church. So if you're new here, we'll have a station underneath this light. 
and this light over here. If you're in the back half of the room, we'll have them in the middle of the aisles. You'll come down these two uh, middle aisles, then you'll exit on the outside uh, row. You will have bread that will be torn for you, representing the body of our King that was torn for us. Then there will be a cup, which will represent the blood of Jesus that was spilled on our behalf, and it's that blood that covers us and makes us right with God. Maybe you want to pray. Maybe you're wanting to know where is it that God would have you serve and you don't know. We're going to have some elders and some staff and some people down front. It is our greatest honor just to be able to pray with you. And we're going to be down front if you would like to do that. But as a church family, we are now going to come to the table.